The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Back in 2019, we had 15 starting pitchers with 200-plus innings pitched. This season, we had four. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, November 9th. Frank Stample joined, as always, by Scott White. And today is my birthday. Scott, what'd you get me? Whoa, whoa, I didn't realize that, Frank. I might have to see yesterday was my older son's birthday. And here's a little here's a little taste of the bounty, Frank. Hey there. Hey there, Frank. Uh, For those who are just Uh, listening, get this to you, maybe. (laughs) It's pretty dope. You know, I'll take it. I am a big Iron Man fan. Those of you who are listening and not watching, uh, Scott is wearing a an Iron Man mask. And I'm a big fan. Big fan of Iron yeah, Man, Scott. It all works, right? Yeah. I like it, though. The, the little faceplate pops up, and you're like, That's honestly Jarvis, awesome. give me those coordinates. Shout out you know? Shout out to your son, man. Scorpios Unite. Let's go. Yeah. Oh, well, happy birthday, Frank. <laughs> Thanks, man. Who's your favorite Marvel superhero? Or I guess just regular superhero? Oh, uh, well, regular superhero, probably Batman. I'm, I'm basing this entirely off movies, for what it's worth. I wasn't <laughs> really a big comics guy or kid uh from the mcu though i would say i would say iron man i mean oh yeah yeah it's all about iron man jr i mean and you can't really go wrong with his portrayal there for sure and i'm a big believer you can't you can't like both iron man and captain america it's like you know you can't be a yankees (laughs) and a mets fan it's one or the other so i like them both (laughs) but i like iron man more 100 i like that uh it is starting pitcher week by the way if you haven't noticed already here on the podcast so what we're going to do today much like last week last week we we broke down the outfield position the first podcast of the week we basically recapped and reviewed the position the top 20 25 at outfield and then the Second podcast we did, we we looked at Scott's early 2022 ranks. We're going to do the same thing this week for starting pitcher. So today we'll try and get to those. Probably top 20, I think, is most realistic. And then on Thursday, we have Nick Pollock from PitcherList joining us. So uh, it's going to be really fun to talk about starting pitchers with him. Scott, I realize it is way too early. It is, we're actually recording this November 8th. Uh, it's going to be released on November 9th, but... What is your early stance on starting pitcher, if you have one? Because we've talked about this a little bit off-air before, and it seems like the position is much, much deeper than yeah. it has been in the past. So how are you feeling about mm-hmm. it? Very different. Very different Very. from how I was feeling this time a year ago, or even just 
uh, how long ago was that? Seven months ago, eight months ago. Um, very different. You know, I, I really went all in on starting pitching beyond what I ever imagined myself doing. And I said, this should work as long as the landscape doesn't change. Landscape change. So it, 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 it pretty much blew up in my face. Um, and we've talked about that before. Uh, so, but I feel like you don't, at least I don't, the way my process works, I don't really get a good grasp of exactly how much it's changed until I start putting together my rankings and really lining up names one after another. And um, very surprised how low I'm ranking pitchers that I consider to be good. You know, it feels like the past couple years, uh, at least the way I had come to approach starting pitching, I kind of wanted to have my whole pitching staff assembled by the time we were 40 names into the position. Cause I just, with, with the way balls were flying out of the park and, and um, you know, just how overpowering the high end arms were basically the middle class at the position was gone. And so if you didn't get, if you didn't build within that top 40 at the position, like you were just going to end up with a bunch of duds and have no chance of competing. But the middle class returned with a vengeance this year. And in fact, I, I would say that most of the position is upper middle class now. I think with, with the change in the baseball, the deadening of the ball, reducing home runs, that brought that, brought that middle class back. And you add the, the foreign substance crackdown midseason, it made those really high-end arms, just a little more human. And so it brought them down a little. So now the, the most high-end arms, they don't, they don't stand out quite as much as they had in recent years. And, and meanwhile, you've got this very large middle class. So, so now, I mean, you get to 55. Ba- basically, I feel like my top 30 at the position is, is about right. I like the 30 names I have there. I, you know, I might massage the order from time to time, but I like the, the names in the top 30 at starting pitcher for me. But 31, I think there's probably 25 names that have a case for that number 31 spot in the ranking. So we're talking 55 instead of what used to be 40 and, and maybe even beyond that, maybe, maybe 55 is selling it short. I just, I, I do see a little bit of a drop off there after 55. Yeah. I was just looking through your, your rankings that are currently live on the site and you wrote up a little blurb for your top 40, but then just for fun, you throw in 41 through 55 and there are some names here where I'm just like, all right, Ian Anderson, yeah, like this, it, it, this. He was arguably top twenty-five this year, and now I have him outside of the top fifty, and he's fifty-third. Yeah, like look at these other names here too. Like Trevor Rogers is forty-sixth. Mike Clevenger mm-hmm. is coming back from Tommy John surgery. He's forty-eighth. Noah Syndergaard is forty-ninth. Uh, you have, you know, Zach Gallen is all the way down at fifty-four. Logan Gilbert, who I think some people might like as you know maybe a second-year breakout candidate, uh, all the way down at fifty-three. So yeah, there's a lot of names that I think are very interesting, and I brought up a few guys that are coming back from injury. I think that also helps the position because we had Chris Sale and Luis Severino and Noah Syndergaard last year, you know, expected to return midseason, we were hoping, uh, but obviously it took a lot longer for them to come back. But we're going to have all of those names now, presumably ready to go 
as starting pitchers heading into next year. Plus, we're also getting Justin Verlander back too. So I think that definitely helps the position, uh, but we'll talk about it. It, it does feel a lot deeper uh, than it was this time last year. And I don't fault you for wanting to be aggressive with starting pitching. I mean, we spoke about it a lot last season, uh, last offseason, and rightfully so. We couldn't really foresee these changes how much they were going to affect the landscape. We just didn't know. Like yeah. they talked about using a new ball, you know, closer to the start of the season. We didn't really know exactly what kind of effect that was going to have. And then just the crackdown on yeah. foreign substances. Like we knew that it was prevalent in the game. There was no way to predict that was going to happen mid season. So I did write down some league wide stats from April through May and then from June 1st on. So the first two months of the season, the league ERA was 4.03 with a 1.27 whip. And then from June 1st on, that jumped to a 4.38 ERA with a 1.31 whip. Now, pitching normally does do a little bit better early on in the season, so I'll, you know, I'll give the, the caveat there. But, I mean, that, that's a pretty big disparity from the first two months to the final four. So keep all those things in mind, and, and we're going to talk about pitching for the rest of this podcast. But I do want to hit some news and notes here up at the top real quick, Scott, because there's a lot going on in baseball right now. There's like some qualifying offers going out. There's some options uh, to be had here, and I think we should talk about it. So let's just quickly get to it here. The four, there were 14 qualifying offers handed out, and I think the biggest surprises on this list, again, the qualifying offer... $18.4 million for one year. A player can choose to accept or decline that qualifying offer. And then the team, you know, if the player declines, then the team gets a, I believe it's some kind of draft compensation when, when that player signs elsewhere. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, biggest surprises, Brandon Belt, Eduardo Rodriguez, Chris Taylor, Justin Verlander, and Noah Syndergaard. And mm. uh, there are already some names that declined it. Corey Seager, Trevor Story, Nick Castellanos, Michael Conforto. I think that is uh, definitely fair. A few surprises that weren't extended the qualifying offer. To me, this is the bigger news, Scott. Clayton Kershaw and Carlos Rodon. And to me, it's pretty alarming because those teams know more about those pitchers than anybody else. They have all the medical history, everything on them. And we have reason to be concerned about them. Kershaw with his forearm and obviously Carlos Rodon with his shoulder. So I, I think it's pretty concerning that those teams did not extend the qualifying offer to those starting pitchers. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Kershaw especially. Um, Ker Kershaw was surprising, especially because of his history with the Dodgers. It's the only uniform he ever wore. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, yeah, I mean, that that was surprising. Now, I was worried about both of these guys uh, heading into the offseason, uh, beginning my draft prep for 2022, I feel like although Kershaw's elbow has seemingly been cleared of UCL damage, we've heard that one before. And, you know, it, it, it popped up a second time late in the year after he returned and he was unavailable for the postseason. So that, that definitely makes me nervous. Carlos Rodon, you know, the drop in velocity, uh, the long stretches in between starts to close out the season. He was still pretty effective during that time, it's worth noting, but it, it didn't seem right. And, uh, you know, he's the one that I've, I've I've been saying this over and over again with Carlos Rodon. How I approach him in fantasy next year is probably going to depend on how he's approached in free agency. And, uh, you know, if he's getting given a one-year prove-it deal... You know that that's going to make me concerned. And then if he's going to if he's given like a sizable multi-year offer, well, this is a bad first indication, right? The the White Sox, you know, it does it doesn't definitively means this mean this, but basically it means they don't think 
they wouldn't want to invest $18.4 million in a one-year prove-it deal for Carlos Rodon. Yeah, and that's that's pretty alarming. So um, we'll, we'll see. Look, these teams could still re-sign them. The White Sox, uh, the White Sox could still re-sign Rodon. The Dodgers can re-sign Kershaw, but uh, it's it is pretty surprising that that they weren't given the qualifying offer yeah. there. Um, now I was kind of surprised Noah Syndergaard was. Yeah, I think he's probably going to accept it, right? Because it makes sense for him to do a one-year prove-it deal, and then if he performs well, maybe gets a multi-year contract after that. Yeah, I, I would have guessed like in the open market he'd get less than eighteen point four million after the long absence from Tommy John. He didn't, he didn't. You know, his his stuff wasn't quite there when he returned very late in the year, just a couple relief appearances, but he didn't quite seem himself yet. So um, that was surprising to me. And I, I do think there's a good chance he ends up taking it, but we'll just have to see. I could see Brendan Belt taking it too. You know, one year, 18 million. What does he get on the open market? I don't know, maybe like two years, 25 million. So if he, if he wants that, you know, guaranteed salary for one year, I could see him taking that, but... Um, definitely don't think he's going to get that, you know, that much over a multi-year span, uh, 18 million for Brandon Belt. JD Martinez declined to exercise his opt out and will remain with the Red Sox in 2022. The White Sox picked up Craig Kimbrell's $16 million option and will look to trade him this offseason. Those are early reports. So, uh, a few names that stood out to me, the Mariners, they're looking to compete. They're set to be pretty aggressive, uh, in free agency, everything that I've read so far, maybe the Padres, the Padres, um, they just had Mark Melanson decline his option. So he'll be a free agent as well. So two teams there that stand out to me that could definitely use a closer. Wade Miley was placed on waivers and he was picked up by the Chicago Cubs as a result uh, for the Reds, both pitching prospects, Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green. There was a report that they will compete for uh, spots in the Reds rotation. It doesn't mean that they'll both be in there, but there's a possibility. And, and then there's another rumor that they're uh, they're shopping Luis Castillo. So if they lose yeah. Wade Miley and Luis Castillo, I don't know, maybe we see both of them, Scott, Lodolo and Hunter Green. Maybe, maybe, yeah. but that's, um, you don't see that a lot, obviously, especially sure. from starting pitchers, the way they're going to have to manage the innings over the course of next year to have them in the rotation from the start of April. That's, I'd be surprised if they were both in. I'd be kind of surprised if either in was in from the very start, but they will be competing, and it's possible, of course. Uh, I was surprised by just the way the Wade Miley move played out. You know, baseball reference war, he was a 5.7 win player this past year, nearly a six-win player. Wade That's Miley massive. Was Yeah, I mean, that is, uh, you know, some of the guys contending for a Cy Young award this year had a lower award, a, a lower war than that. So, you know, the fact that they just straight waiver claim the Cubs got him because he's making $10 million? I mean, that, that didn't seem like an excessive amount. Obviously, we don't really think Wade Miley's a six-war player and he had crashed pretty hard in September. But I, I don't know. I guess that goes to show what the Reds and uh, what the rest of the league is thinking about Wade Miley if, if uh, he couldn't be traded with that $10 million salary for something anything really because it was just a straight waiver claim yeah and i actually was reading a ken rosenthal article about uh this very situation with wade miley and uh based on that war that he posted if you convert that into like salary what it would be worth something like a 23 million dollar season last year for wade miley and, and and again they didn't want to pick up uh they didn't want to pay him 10 million so uh he will be with the chicago cubs next season alex bregman underwent right wrist surgery on monday which could explain his poor performance down the stretch and in the postseason he's fully expected to be ready for spring training so 
Bregman, a name that will definitely monitor uh, his recovery here. Uh, Justin Verlander threw a 25-pitch session and reached as high as 97 miles per hour with his fastball. 15 to 20 teams were in attendance. And assuming the season starts in April, there's a whole CBA that needs to be negotiated here in the offseason. Verlander will be 18 months removed from Tommy John surgery. So that's... Uh, that's that's a great that's a great timetable. I, I don't know that whatever team he goes to, he'll be limited at all. It seems like he'll he'll probably just be good to go. Um, he's SP thirty in your early twenty twenty two ranks. So, uh, yep, and could rocket up the rankings if he looks like Justin Verlander in spring training. Like that's the, I could see him being drafted within the top fifteen starting pitchers before March is over. Yeah, some early teams that were, you know, rumored to be in on Verlander. Obviously, the Astros are interested in bringing him back. The Detroit Tigers, he has familiarity there. Obviously, uh, AJ Hinch is the manager there as well. The Yankees, the Mets were both in attendance as well. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Verlander. Andrew Heaney signed a one-year deal worth $8 million with the Dodgers. Good riddance and good luck to you, Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> uh, and trade rumor season, I mentioned Luis Castillo. Apparently is being shopped. The A's, it looks like they are going to clean house. Uh, complete rebuild coming. Or, I mean, we'll wait until these things actually happen. But rumors that they're shopping Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, and Frankie Montas. So, uh, <laughs> the Yankees are, you know, a team that's rumored to be interested in Matt Olson, which I think can make a lot of sense. They, you know, if they don't trust Luke Voigt to stay healthy, or if, you know, maybe he is part of another deal, uh, you got short ports there in, in right field. Could be an awesome landing spot for uh, for Matt yeah, Wilson there. It could. All uh, right. I just want to mention Andrew Heaney. Like, go into the dot, and the fact that the Dodgers made an aggressive bid for Andrew Heaney the very start of the off. <laughs> yeah, like, right. Just when you thought it was safe to give up on Andrew Heaney. True. Now, now, who knows? Who knows? Obviously, the Dodgers have a pretty good track record with these kinds of moves. Uh, before we get into our year in review for starting pitcher, all of our podcasts are still going on YouTube. So if you'd like to watch us in the offseason, you want to see Scott wearing his uh, his Iron Man mask, feel free to come watch us. Subscribe at YouTube.com slash Fantasy Baseball Today. And as I mentioned, Nick Pollock from Pitcher List will join us on Thursday's podcast to like take a look at Scott's early rankings. All right, let's do it. This mask is sized for a child, so instead of actually strapping it on my head, I have to hold it up to my face like I'm at the masquerade ball. But it doesn't look so bad. You know, maybe do you have a small head, Scott, for for like normal adults? I don't know. I actually do have a smallish head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My hat size seven and three eighths. Oh, I think I think that's, that's the same small, exact. Right? What do I got here? Uh, seven and one fourth. So I'm smaller than you. Mm, you are. You are. Yeah. Maybe I am a big head. <laughs> oh, big head, Scotty. All right, let's take a look at uh, this past year. Starting pitcher. Uh, we'll try to get through the top 20, 25, whatever it is. But number one at the position in 5x5 Roto was Max Scherzer, 2.46 ERA, a 0.86 whip, 236 strikeouts, over 179.1 innings pitched. And uh, look, he was awesome. Second in baseball among qualified pitchers in K minus walk rate, second in swinging strike rate. Guy completely hung a fat L on my head this year because I had him in my bus column coming into the season. I was worried about the age. Uh, maybe you should still be worried about the age because he dealt with dead arm in the NLCS and uh, he said that his arm was, quote, overcooked. Doesn't really sound great for a 37-year-old starting pitcher. But, uh, Scott, how do you feel? How do you feel about Max Scherzer? Are you worried about the age and uh, the injury concerns? I mean, not really. And I, I kind of came to this 
conclusion with Scherzer and, and Justin Verlander, ironically enough, the Tommy John surgery is hard to predict, uh, a couple years ago where, you know, there, there are just there's just so many ways a starting pitcher can implode that, frankly, age feels like the least of those concerns, you know? Um, the fact that you have a guy here who delivers elite production at this volatile position over and over and over again. That's always a big workload. It's always a ton of strikeouts. He's led, uh, he led the majors in whip again this year. Uh, he's just, he's just an amazing pitcher. Now it's, it is interesting that this is the year, uh, you know, obviously they had a deep playoff run, but when, when his arm was overcooked because there was, you didn't see him go quite, as deep into games as consistently this year. It was more, he was more of a six, seven inning guy than a five, six inning, or how did I put it before? Basically, um, he had some really short outings. So if, if, if you, you could call him a six, seven inning guy, still Scherzer, but more toward the six end of that spectrum than the seven end of that spectrum. And, um, you know, but obviously that was coming off a weird 2020 season where he didn't throw many innings at all. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. I'm sure he's going to be over the dead arm thing by the time next year begins. And I imagine whether he's back with the Dodgers, really wherever he goes, you're going to want to draft Scherzer in round two. Yeah, I I think he, he could be in conversation for SP1, you know, the late first, early second round, depending on how aggressive you want to be in, in getting one of those big name aces. Uh, but yeah, no, I, as of now, I actually I have no issue drafting Max Scherzer uh, that early. Number two at the position was Walker Bueller. Finished with a 2.47 ERA, 0.97 whip, 212 strikeouts, over 207 and two-thirds innings pitched. He was one of four starting pitchers who went 200-plus this past season. And we knew coming in, you know, coming off of this, the 60-game shortened season that uh, we were going to have you know less volume, less 200-inning pitchers than ever before. That actually turned out to be the case. We were not expecting Walker Bueller to be one of those pitchers who actually uh, went above and beyond. He went six-plus innings in 27 of... No, I don't think that's correct. 29. 29 of 33 starts that he made in the regular yeah. season. So all but They're only four, going six innings once in all of 2020, the regular season. It, it was just an outstanding season. He did kind of... Faltered down the stretch, he had an ERA over four in the final month of the season, but he was so great every other month that, I'm, look, I'm not really holding that against him. Uh, how do you feel, Scott? Because we were both kind of off of Walker Bueller. Has he earned your trust? Yeah, it's a little weird, uh, Walker Bueller, because, I mean, the innings thing, obviously. Okay, so we were dead wrong about that, me especially, and that's not a concern anymore. He's They're going to use him like an ace. He's going to get a ton of innings. Uh, every reason to draft him in you know, probably in round two, just like Scherzer. Um, now, it's a little weird the way it played out because he he was always less of a bat misser than you thought just based on his reputation and his success, but it went even more that direction this year. He was just a little over a strikeout per inning. Um, and, you know, normally in the way we evaluate pitchers, that would it would be a little concerning. Uh, the way his strikeouts are trending, but I don't know. He's just been so consistently successful that I just, I don't really worry about it. I mean, obviously there's the practical matter of for the amount you're investing in him, you can't count on as many strikeouts as maybe other pitchers in that range, but 
it's it just doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me. I have him fifth in my starting pitcher rankings for next year. Number three at the position was Zach Wheeler, and <laughs> breakout season for Zach Wheeler: two point seven eight ERA, one hundred one WHIP, two hundred forty seven strikeouts, over two hundred thirteen innings pitched. Uh, both of those categories. Well, let me make sure the strikeouts definitely led the National League. And the innings uh, led all of baseball for Zach Wheeler. So how about that? Um, true yep. breakout season for him. It was. And, uh, you know, how did he do it? Uh, he threw a slider more than ever before. And it really just basically helped everything else play up. The strikeouts uh, were higher. Uh, you know, he's always been solid in terms of walks. He's always going to give you volume. Uh, but, yeah, he had a rough August, bounced back. He's awesome. I don't I don't know that I'm going to want to pay the, like, second-round price tag for Zach Wheeler. But maybe that's just me nitpicking. Well, no, I mean, a, a 31-year-old taking a step forward like he did, you're always a little skeptical of it. But I, two things that make me confident enough to at least, at least to rank him that high are, one, you point to there was a tangible change in uh, his, his pitch selection that is logical. It's logical. It would lead to more strikeouts as it did. And two, uh, remember he had he had that blip kind of to begin the second half where we wondered, is he turning back into normal Zach Wheeler? Well, then he finished the season as strong as ever. And in, in September slash October, 147 ERA, 0.91 whip, 11.4 K per nine and five starts. So, um, you know, that that I found that reassuring. So, yeah, I, I like Zach Wheeler in round two. I have him as my number eight starting pitcher. And... Uh, yeah, feel confident. All right, number four was Julio Arias, 2.96 ERA, 102 whip, 195 strikeouts over 185 and two-thirds innings pitched. 20 wins led all of baseball and definitely helped rank him this high uh, in the final you know, 5 by 5 Roto standings. Uh, but he, they basically just let him go. It was same thing with Walker Bueller and Julio Arias. They took the kids' gloves off. He's 25 years old, and uh, he, you know, he did actually make you know tangible changes as well. He threw his curveball a career high this past season. He also limited the walks. Uh, his control was much better. Dropped all the way down to 1.84 walks per nine, which is actually like an elite mark. So he he actually took a huge step forward. Again, I, I don't. I think he's probably going to be like a third or fourth round starting pitcher. I don't know that I'll invest that high in him, but everything I saw this year seems pretty legit. Yeah. So basically, everything I said about. Walker Bueller, you could apply to Julio, <laughs> Julio Arias, just make him left-handed instead. Um, the strikeouts are a little light given the amount you're going to have to invest in him, but he's always been so good at run prevention that I don't think it's, I don't think it's worrisome except to the extent it might cost you some strikeouts. And uh, obviously great supporting cast, exact same team, the Dodgers. Uh, and, and, and like Walker Bueller, Julio Arias blew away my expectations in terms of workload. He didn't top 200 innings, but he topped 185. And um, they basically used him like a conventional frontline starter all season long and wouldn't have gotten to 20 wins otherwise. The fact he had a 204 ERA in the second half, you know, I don't, I don't know that I buy that he suddenly became this better pitcher midway through the season. I think that's a full season statistics, more predictive than the half season statistics situation. But it is notable, nonetheless. All right, let's move on to number five, Corbin Burns, who I actually think is in the conversation to be the first starting pitcher drafted in 2022. And he was amazing. 2.42 ERA, 0.94 whip, 
234 uh, strikeouts, over 167 innings pitched. Just absolutely ridiculous. He was first in K-minus walk rate. He was first in swinging strike rate. And he does everything that you want. He gets whiffs. Uh, he lowered the walk rate tremendously. He went from 3.62 walks per nine in 2020 to 1.83 this past season. He gets a lot of ground balls. He limits hard contact. Uh, and he made a tangible cha- uh, pitching change in his pitch mix as well. He went from a 31% cutter usage to 52% this past season. It was his go-to pitch. Uh, I think he's right there. I, I think he's right there in that mix, Scott, for, for SP1 next year. Yeah. Yeah, I have him as my number four starting pitcher for next year. He didn't finish quite that high, mostly because of innings. And that's the big question mark for Corbin Burns at this point is, uh, you know, he went 167. You know, that's not quite as many as we want. Can he get to 180? Can he get beyond 180? That That's the next question he has to answer. And it's not just that. It's also, you know, 167 was 100 more innings more than 100 more innings than he's ever thrown in a, a major league season before. And how will he bounce back from that workload? Uh, will he be dealing with injuries all of this year? I hope not, but it's it's possible until you see a guy prove that he can do it over and over again. You, you, you just don't know. Um, but in terms of how effective he is, like pitch for pitch, I think Corbin Burns is the best starting pitcher not named Jacob deGrom at this point. He had a 163 FIP this past year. 163. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff. Well, I mean, you see deGrom do that kind of yeah. stuff, right? But that's about it. Um, and uh, his ex-FIP was a little... Little more ordinary, 2.30 was Corbin Burns' ex fit, <laughs> which was 0.54 higher than any other qualifier. So, distant first in both of those categories was Corbin Burns. And uh, he did have a little stretch when the foreign substance crackdown kicked in, where you know there was a little blip, the spin rates dropped a little. You wondered if maybe he was overachieving, but sort of like with uh, with Zach Wheeler. Corbin Burns finished very strong and uh, effectiveness. That's really not a question for him entering next season. Yeah. So again, these were your top five this past season in five by five Roto Scherzer, Bueller, Wheeler, Julio Arias, and Corbin Burns. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll try to get through uh, six through 20 here. We'll uh, move a little bit faster on each one of these pitches. We'll do it next on fantasy baseball today. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 
All right, number six this past season was Robbie Ray. My man, Adam Azer, said last year, bold prediction was that Robbie Ray would finish as top three in the National League Cy Young Award voting. That's when he was still on the Diamondbacks. This year, uh, he actually will finish at least top three in the American League Cy Young Award voting, and I, I think he's probably going to win it. I think he deserves to win the award. How did he do it? It's all about the pants, baby. Those tight pants. Nah, for real though. Um, 2.84 ERA, 104 whip, 248 strikeouts, over 193 and a third innings pitched. He trusted his stuff. He threw it in the zone. He had a velo jump on his fastball. Uh, the walks went way, way, way down. And as a result, Scott, this was the best version of Robbie Ray we've ever seen. Yeah, it was. And, you know, this is another guy on the wrong side of 30 having a breakout. The breakout was much bigger than even like the one we talk about for Zach Wheeler. So skepticism is warranted. He threw it a lot more strikes. I mean, he was just so inefficient previously in his career um, that it was, you know, it kind of, he kind of, he kind of looked like a lost cause because even though he had a lot of bat missing ability, just too many walks, couldn't go deep enough into games, and it just kept getting worse and worse. So the drastic improvement in strikeout rate with his stuff, you know, you can understand the big leap forward. I do have him ninth at the position. I actually have him ahead of Julio Arias, but I feel like I feel like in between my number eight pitcher Zach Wheeler and my number nine pitcher Robbie Ray, there could potentially be a whole one round gap in your draft, at least in standard five by five. I don't know if that points leagues are going to make that possible, but I could see Zach Wheeler going in round two and maybe Robbie Ray not going till round four. Yeah. So um, that's kind of kind of a little bit of a teardrop here. Not a huge one, but a little bit. Yeah, and there are a few red flags. As you mentioned, like the age is there. Can he maintain this this amazing jump in, in con- control that he had this past season? And, uh, you know, he, September, the walks kind of came back up, 3.7 walks per nine. It's a small sample. I think it was like four or five starts. Gave up a few more home runs that month as well. So maybe he was starting to wear down. He's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, we'll see where he lands. But um, uh, an interesting guy. I want to also see where like his ADP settles in. It's going to be pretty interesting to see. Number seven this past season, Garrett Cole. 3.23 ERA, 106 whip, 243 strikeouts, over 181 and a third innings pitched. And uh, yeah, basically the face of the sticky substance situation, everything that was going on in baseball, gets up on a podium, they ask him about it, he stumbles, he fumbles his words, kind of just like stutters for like a minute straight. It's like, Dude, how did you not know this question was coming? Anyway, uh, I think I was probably too hard on him towards the end of the season. But what I will say is from June 1st on, he had a 4.15 ERA. That came with a 3.31 XFIP. What I'm thinking, Scott, at this point in his career, the fact that he's getting a little bit older too, I think you know we could just expect maybe some natural regression anyway because he's just been so awesome in the past couple of years. I think that he's probably more of like a low threes ERA guy at this point. We'll see what happens with, you know, the sticky substances and in the offseason. But even, you know, look, if he's 11 Ks per nine, 11, 12 Ks per nine, a 3.15, 3.2 ERA, low one whip, it's still a really, really great pitcher. I just don't mm-hmm. know that he's like head and shoulders better than pitchers like we've ranked him in the past. Yeah. So the big dip for him came toward the end of June when the enforcement of the substance ban kicked in. He, like much of the rest of the league, saw a big drop in spin rate. Um, his 
production seemed more impacted than most, but he was still getting a lot of strikeouts. And then uh, he had a six-start stretch in there with a 135 ERA in between August and September, did Garrett Cole, including a 15-strikeout effort. And the spin rate, you know, they were back up quite a bit. Uh, then he had three pretty rough starts to end the season. Then he had the bad start in the playoffs. But he was dealing with a hamstring injury during that time that seemed to impact his delivery. So I don't know that you can just take his numbers from the crackdown to the end of the season at face value because that hamstring issue also seemed to come into play there. And he had a middle stretch where he looked as dominant as usual. So I still have Garrett Cole as my number two starting pitcher. If if it turns out Jacob deGrom's not going to be ready for the start of the season, I guess Cole would jump to number one. Uh, but I do agree with you that it's more reasonable to expect a low three ZRA. Uh, he's he's probably he's probably the main guy I was thinking about when I said you know the elite starting pitchers don't stand out quite as much as they used to. It's it's not that Garrett Cole isn't good anymore. It's just that he's a little more human now. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely fair. And something I was reading about as well is the Arizona Fall League is currently experimenting with pre-tacked baseballs, so they already have this. I guess a sticky substance on them for, for pitchers, you know, to help them have a better grip. So yep. I guess we'll see what the results are of that. And, and, you know, maybe it's something they uh, incorporate next season or maybe in future seasons, but we'll see. Uh, number eight this past season was Kevin Gosman, 2.81 ERA, 104 whip, 227 strikeouts, over 192 innings pitched. Uh, how did he do this? He maintained his fastball velo jump from 2020. He's basically just two pitches. His splitter was absolutely awesome this year. He did kind of fall off a little bit in the second half. He posted a 4.42 ERA, but the underlying numbers were still really, really good. Like 3.23 XFIP to go along with that second half ERA. He was. It seemed like he was unlucky. Scott, I always worry about pitchers who rely so much on their splitter just because it's like a, it's a pretty inconsistent pitch. It's a hard pitch to like really master and rely on that much. Uh, Kevin Gosman's awesome. I, I just don't know if I'm going to invest the I think he's probably gonna be like a third round pick or something like that and I don't think I'm gonna want to do it yeah if he's a third round pick I'm not going to want to either you know I was kind of just saying I'm not sure any pitcher deserves to be a third round pick uh at least in five by five and I have Kevin Gosman I have him 13th for next year as compared to Robbie Ray who I have ninth so you know I'm thinking more round four round five unlike Unlike Zach Wheeler, Kevin Gosman, who's also in his 30s, did have that drop-off in the second half. Actually had a 442 ERA in the second half. Uh, though still with a lot of strikeouts. So he's faked us out with the split in the past. Obviously never a season like the one he just had. But as you mentioned, um, it's it's hard to take it entirely at face value. Even if, you know, I'm still ranking him 13th, so I'm not burying the guy I'm just you know playing it a little cautiously with Kevin Gossman yeah and, and it's another situation where you know he had a 2.81 ERA for the entire season but you know he had a, a 3.28 xFIP he had a 3.42 Sierra you know, that's probably closer to what you should expect you know like a low to mid threes ERA which again it still makes him a very good pitcher just you know maybe not as as awesome as he was this past season number nine at the position was Adam Wainwright, pretty interesting here. His uh, He turned 40 this past season. He finished with a 3.05 ERA, a 106 whip, 174 strikeouts, over 206 and a third innings pitch. So you see it there. Like He's not even close to 
uh, a strikeout per inning at this point. The underlying numbers say he would he really really pitched over his head, and I'm sure you have him ranked much much lower than where he finished, Scott. But uh, especially yeah. in points leagues. I mean, he's probably still going to be really good there because the guy has a rubber arm and he's going to be quality start after quality start. So Roto, yeah, I think he takes a, a pretty big step back, but points leagues, I, I think he's still going to be pretty valuable. Yeah, it's it's really, he, he's probably the hardest pitcher to figure out because it was he was so good this year. 305 ERA, 17 wins, threw over 200 innings, one of four, just four pitchers to do that. And the thing is, it was picking up basically from where he left off in 2020, 315 ERA and 10 starts, 105 whip, about the same K per nine, 7.4. But basically his his ratios from 2020 to 2021, virtually identical. Obviously, we were writing him off in 2020 because he made only 10 starts, all the weirdness that went along with that. But it's a little harder to write off those 32 starts from 2021. He was useless the previous four years like he had fallen off a cliff statistically so you know you you got to remember that it's not like just uh strikeouts aren't good like we have an extended history of adam wainwright just not being a good pitcher anymore and then but the 42 starts between this year and last he was good without the support of underlying numbers so you know i yeah i do have him a lot lower than eighth for next year i have him where is he? Oh, 45th. I have Adam Wainwright 45th for next year. Ooh. Which still kind of feels too high. Because <laughs> yeah. I have him ahead of Trevor Rogers. I have him ahead of a lot of those names you mentioned before. Ian Anderson, Logan Gilbert, Zach Gallen. So I, I, I feel like that ranking does give him more credit than I could give him. I mean, I'm including him in that group of 55 pitchers that I think are more or less good. So, you know, but 45 is obviously playing it a bit cautiously considering he was just eighth. Uh, Number 10 at the position this past year, Brandon Woodruff, 2.56 ERA, a 0.96 whip, 211 strikeouts, over 179 and a third innings pitch. He actually finished lower than his overall numbers because he only had nine wins. So a little bit unlucky in that department, but he does a great job of limiting hard contact and he became a more complete pitcher this year. Scott, he used four different pitches at least 14% of the time. Now that's you know two different fastballs. So it's, you know, it's kind of like three pitches, but uh, his curveball went from 6% usage in 2020 to 16.7% this past year. So it seems like he's just kind of um, his arsenal is just getting better with age. Yeah, I mean, he feels pretty safe. I have him as a top. He's number six for me next year. I have him going in the second round. Um, you know, kind of like to to less of an extreme than Corbin Burns. Woodruff isn't so proven in terms of workload either. His previous high for a major league season, he may have had some numbers. He may have had some innings in the minors for some of these seasons, but the most he had ever thrown in a Milwaukee's Brewers uniform prior to this past year was 121 and two-thirds. And he jumped to almost 180 this year. Uh, So, you know, he's got to prove he can bounce back too. But I do feel like he's a little more battle-tested than Burns, and I don't worry about that as much for for Brandon Woodruff. So I'm comfortable using a second-round pick on him. 11th at the position was Carlos Rodon, who we spoke about earlier today. 2.37 ERA, 0.96 whip, 185 strikeouts, over 132 and two-thirds innings pitched. Uh, The innings there were his most since 2016. The guy has dealt with a lot of injuries uh, the past three, four years. And 
<clears throat> basically he had this huge jump in in fastball velocity uh, this past season. But then the problem was that in September it uh, it fell off. Like so for most of the year he was right around ninety six miles per hour. Four September starts a ninety two point nine mile per hour average fastball v- velocity, and then his one postseason start he was back up at ninety six. So I'm not really sure what to trust Scott, but again I'm I'm airing on the side of caution right now considering he didn't even get the qualifying offer from his own team. Yeah, I just, I don't even really know what airing on the side of caution really means for him because, I mean, his numbers were... I'm probably not going to draft him, to be honest. Like, if he's just... He, phenomenal. If he's a top, <laughs> you know, seven or eight round pitcher, I'm, I'm just not going to draft Carlos Rodon. Okay. It's, it just seems so, too risky. So remember at the top of the show, I said, I, I feel pretty good about the names I have in my top 30, and there, but there's about 25 pitchers I could slot 31. I currently have Carlos Rodon leading that group. He's number 31 for me just after Justin Verlander, just pre- before Alec Manoa. But a lot's going to depend, as I also said earlier this show, on how, what hap- how, how teams approach him in the offseason. Uh, there were more changes contributing to his breakthrough than just fastball velocity. And remember, early in the year, it was, it was lower anyway. It kind of got higher as the season went on. It, it kind of fluctuated a lot over the course of the season, actually. It just was at its lowest at the end of the season. So I, I think there's a lot more there than just a big fastball, but a lot of question marks too. Yeah, but if like, you do if you do take his numbers at face value, I mean top ten potential here for Carlos Rodon. So I, I don't want to sell him short. I just it's hard to tell exactly when is the right time to pull the trigger, especially now here in early November. And he's especially useful in you know a five by five or a category league because I think on a per inning basis. If he's healthy, he's probably going to be really good. You mentioned it wasn't just a fastball, but the, the slider was awesome. Uh, his control was much better than we've seen, and, and it added up to more whiffs, more strikeouts. Uh, he, he was really great this year. Again, he finished as a top 12 starting pitcher. Um, it's just where are we at in terms of health. I think we got to find out more about that this offseason. Number 12 at the position was Charlie Morton, who had also a huge bounce back season. 3.34 ERA, 104 whip, 216 strikeouts over... 185 and two-thirds innings pitched, and the velocity bounced back in a big way. Remember last year, the shortened season, he was dealing with some injury. The velocity was down. His fastball was uh, below 94 miles per hour. He averaged over 95 on the fastball this season, which was his highest since 2018. Uh, He did suffer, I think it was a broken fibula in the World Series, Uh, but all indications are he's going to be good to go for the start of the season. Scotty, are you buying back in on Charlie Morton? Yeah, yeah. I thought it was pretty aggressive ranking of fifteenth, but he actually even he finished even higher than that this past year. So an, another guy you could worry about the age. Uh, he's a few days from turning thirty-eight, so he's old. But you know we're we're not seeing his stuff diminish at all, and we know he can take on a big workload. You know he he's got like the spinningest curveball in all the majors. So it's an elite pitch for him. Still. Still hits 97 on the radar gun. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm comfortable with Charlie Morton. You know, if I ended up with him my ace, I don't think it'd be that that big of a concession. Mm. And we've got our first mock draft coming up too, so I'm very interested to see uh, how specifically you and me construct our teams because we were so aggressive with starting pitchers. So it's you know if if you wait on him as your ace, you're you're probably taking hitters with your first. Three, maybe four picks. So that, yeah, what I'm thinking now is 
and it may be an oversimplification. And remember, we talked earlier about how maybe we should have been pickier with some of our pitchers than we were. But putting all that aside for now, I'm thinking like I want seven of my top 55. (laughs) Don't do this again, Scott. Don't do this. Well, I'm giving myself a much bigger number. That's fair. But going much deeper into the position too. So I still want to be ahead of the curve, but I don't necessarily have to go for the first, second round type pitchers. I don't know. All right. We'll see. Yeah, we'll I see. mean, I you know I was thinking earlier, is I might want just like one ace to anchor my staff, and then I'm just gonna I'm going to wait like five or six rounds before I take my SP two. That that's kind of an early take that I have at the, mm. on the position, but I got to try it out in a mock draft and see see how yeah. it goes. Um, number 13, 13 at the position was Jacob Degrom. Now he did this; he finished thirteenth at the position with ninety two innings pitched, a one oh eight ERA. 0.55 whip, 146 strikeouts, 92 innings pitched. I mean, this is these are like the best reliever in the league type numbers. This guy was a starting pitcher for like half the season. It, it's just, he was, this was the best performance I've ever seen from a starting pitcher in my lifetime over the course of like one half of a season for whatever that's worth. Uh, but he is 33 mm-hmm. years old. And over the past two seasons, Jacob deGrom has missed time due to neck, lat, back, shoulder, forearm and elbow issues. He was eventually shut down with UCL inflammation. And I was reading an article earlier today from Anthony DeComo on MLB.com. And he wrote the two time NL Cy Young award winner didn't feel any abnormal soreness during bullpen sessions in September, even after he cranked his fastball up to 80 uh, to 98, 88 would be really bad uh, up to 98 miles per hour, all positive signs for a bounce back 2022 season. Scott draft at your own risk. Yeah, see, I I find it really hard to make the case against Jacob DeGrom as the number one starting pitcher without without a concrete reason not to do that, right? I mean, we know there was something going on with the UCL. The Mets saying it's healed, are saying it's healed. The MRIs are showing it's healed. He still was throwing at the end of last season. You know, by everything we can see, he's fine. And if he's fine, I mean, he's so far ahead of of everyone else at this position in terms of ability. And he was on pace for a truly historic season. And, you know, we, we didn't think he could get any better, but he did. And, you know, that that came with him throwing harder. He was averaging more on his fastball this year than ever before. So, like, he act, he, he got better beyond just having a low ERA. So I feel like he has to go in the first round until we have real reason not to take him in the first round. I can't see myself being the guy who takes him in the first round. And if everybody says that, he won't go in the first round. Yeah. And then do I pass him over in the second round? Probably not. But I don't really want Jacob DeGrom, but it's, gosh, it's he's so good. He's ridiculous, and he's... He's an enigma right now because we just don't know, right? Like, so I'm going to do early drafts. I'm, I'm probably going to jump in my first draft, I don't know, within the next couple of weeks over on the NFBC. And I will not draft Jacob DeGrom at all. And maybe this is a mistake. I won't draft him at all until I see him pitch in spring training. I, I need to see it. 
I, I need to see him pitch. So especially like, I don't know, I guess if he falls to a certain point, whatever it is, like fourth, fifth, sure, you'll take a shot. But like, this is not going to happen. Um, but I need to see it before I draft him. Uh, Scott, we got about like 10 minutes left here and we've, I don't know, we've got like 10 more starting pitchers. So let's try to do like, right. I don't know, a pitcher per minute and just give some quick okay. thoughts on each one of these. Number 14 yeah. at the position. It didn't feel like he had a great year, but Jose Barrios, who's actually pretty damn good. 352 ERA, 106 whip, 204 strikeouts, over 192 innings pitched. He will spend this upcoming season with the Toronto Blue Jays. He did all of that with a sub 10% swinging strike rate. So, I don't know. Volume, yeah. but he doesn't seem I'm, great. I worried he might collapse going to uh, such a, a hitter-friendly division. He didn't. He was fine with the Blue Jays. I think it's time. I think we should approach Barrios like we used to approach Zach Wheeler. Innings eater, probably going to have a mid three ZRA. Not going to overwhelm you with the strikeouts, but we'll eat innings. We'll win some games. Um, as your number two, number three, he should be fine. Yeah, and probably better in points leagues just because of all the volume that he gives you. Number 15 this past season was my man. Joe Musgrove, 3.18 ERA, 108 whip, 203 strikeouts, over 181 and a third innings pitched. Uh, he managed to stay healthy, posted a career high in terms of innings. He changed his pitch mix. You know, He threw four different pitches at least 19% of the time, uh, but he did take a pretty big step back in the, in the second half, so I kind of have to see where the ADP settles in, Scott, before I condone drafting Joe Musgrove. Yeah, it feels like he was worse than he actually was. Yeah. Like, it's, it's kind of surprising when you go back and look at his numbers, whether you're talking about the base numbers or the the advanced numbers, and they all look very impressive. And I couldn't justify ranking him lower than 25th, but I'm not that excited about him. And it wasn't just a pure first half, second half thing. I mean, he, he did second half, he did have ERA half a run higher than the first half, but it was kind of all over the place all season long. And that, that goes for strikeouts, that goes for how many how deep he was pitching into games. It was very inconsistent from start to start, which made him frustrating, which probably is why he felt worse. He felt It felt like he was worse than he actually was. Uh, but in the end, it was a breakout season. And if you, you know, if you draft him as your number three, you're, you're doing pretty good. Number 16 was Lance Lynn, a 2.69 ERA, 107 whip, 176 Strikeouts over 157, and uh, that's it. That's 157 innings pitch. Um, his hard contact suppression was the best of his career. Uh, he also had the highest strain rate of his career, so he's 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 very good, but I think he's probably more of like, again, a low to mid three ERA, turns 35 next year in May. He's fine. Lance Lynn is fine. Well, I have him 16th, so he's higher than some of the guys we've been talking about. Um, you know, 269 ERA. The biggest thing for him is like we 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 had been thinking of him as this huge workload guy, seven innings, eight innings sometimes, right? He I he believed he led the majors in innings in the shortened 2020 season. Yeah, with 84. It was surprising, especially down the stretch, how often he went less than six innings. Like they, they really Tony LaRusso really uh really went easy on him. Uh, it's not even just the second half of the season. I mean, four of his six starts in May were just five innings, Lance mm. Lynn. So, like, uh, they 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 gave him an extension during the season, uh, and given his history, I think, okay, probably they're going to get back to working him like we're used to seeing Lance Lynn work. But if they don't, he's going to be disappointing as a top 20 pitcher, I would say. 
Number 17 was your boy. Actually, I don't know if he's your boy, but he helped your team win a World Series, so I'll say yeah. Uh, Max Fried, 304 ERA, 109 whip, 158 strikeouts, over 165 and two-thirds innings pitched. Not going to give you a ton of strikeouts. He's just below a strikeout per inning, but uh, he posted his career-best control this year. He always gets a ton of ground balls. Scott, he's another one where, like, he's kind of... Jose Barrios-ish, where, you know, he's probably going to give you a mid-three ZRA, really good SP3. I don't know that he has much upside higher than that. Yeah, I like him more than Barrios. I think the, I think the, I think we have good reason to believe his ERA potential is better. 225 in his 11 starts in uh, 2020, and we thought, ah, there's no way Max Free could do that again. Well, if you remove the three starts in April when he was dealing with a shoulder issue, really ugly start to the season for him. His final 25 starts, Max Fried had a 2.44 ERA, and you know all those ground balls, and they help with run prevention. I I am a little disappointed in the direction his strikeouts have gone the past couple years, but in in terms of him being an effective fantasy option, it you know he, he's he's still really effective. So you know the breakdown on whether or not he's my boy, I would say going into that 2020 season, he very much was. Going into last year, I was a little worried about him. Now I feel comfortable drafting Freed as my number two in fantasy. Number three would be a dream come true. Nice. Uh, all right. Well, where are you at on Frankie Montas? 3.37 ERA, 1.18 whip, 207 strikeouts, over 187 innings pitched. And he gave up eight earned runs to the Texas Rangers on June 21st. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if many people dropped him after that start. His final 17 starts, 2.24 ERA, 104 whip. 15.2% swinging strike rate. And Holy. it was all about the splitter, Scott. Like, the splitter was on. Frankie Montas was on. Yeah, and, you know, the, the, the splitter was the key to his 2019 breakout. And we kind of wondered what it happened to it in 2020. He had an awful season. He really embraced the splitter even more in 2021. Basically, the point he took off that you mentioned and put up those elite numbers, he was, like, his split, splitter was his most used pitch. He was just... He was just, uh, you know, spamming that pitch on everybody and uh, was amazing. So, you know, it's funny. You compared Freed to Barrios. I have Freed one spot ahead of Barrios. You compared Freed to Montas. I got Mon- Montas one spot ahead of Freed. So, Montas 20, Freed 21, Barrios 22. All right. Well, where are you at on Sandy Alcantara? He finished as the 19th starting pitcher this past year. 319 ERA, 107 whip, 200 and one strikeouts over 205 and two-thirds innings pitched. He was one of those four with 200-plus innings pitched. And we mentioned this multiple times throughout the course of the season. He had two starts where he allowed 18 earned runs. One of those was in Coors Field. If you take those two away, he had a 3.01 ERA in his other, I don't know, it was probably like 30 or 31 starts. So I like Sandy Alcantara quite a bit, Scott. Yeah, and he had a... He had a change, too, to his arsenal, really featured the changeup more prominently in his swing and miss. It improved his swings and misses um, a great deal. He was actually, I, I would say, elite in the swinging strike category, better than even his strikeout rate would suggest. And it, that was especially true over his final 10 starts. He had a swinging strike rate of about 16% to go along with the 221 ERA. And this is a guy who... Um, let me count them up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven starts of eight innings or more. 
I mean, wow. that's his, his Sandy Alcantara works as much as anybody. So I actually have him 11th. Ooh. Um, which is putting a lot of, which is maybe too optimistic because of the team he plays for. As good as he was this year, Alcantara went, Alcantara went only nine and fifteen because the Marlins were that bad. Oh my god, they're so bad. But yeah, um, so hope he gets traded, which isn't. I've seen his name floated out there, but even if he doesn't, like I just think, especially with what he showed over the final two months, like I think he's. On the verge of being an ace, if not already an ace. I do want to mention something for Frankie Montas backing up just a little. Okay. Because I I gave a I only talked about the positive things. The reason I rank Montas as low as 20th, despite him taking off over those final 17 starts, is because, and you mentioned it with Gosman, the splitter, because his success relies so much on that pitch. And I just I just wonder, given the huge swings we've seen from him from 2019 to 2021 if he loses and regains the feel for that pitch off and on. And if, 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 you know, if there, if it's a if situation where it's better to look at Montas's 20 full season, 2021 statistics for assessing him. Uh, last one we'll talk about here. Number 20 was Lucas Giolito, 3.53 ERA, 1.10 whip, 201 strikeouts over 178 and two thirds Innings pitched, uh, still had a great swinging strike rate this year, 15%, just over 15%. Uh, but he's another one where if you had him on your team, it kind of felt like he worse, he was worse than he is. Um, but the final line actually looks pretty good, Scott. Well, yeah, yes. I mean, certainly in terms of how good of a bat misser he is, I think what's happened with Lucas Giolito is we keep expecting him to take another step forward, and he keeps not taking another step forward. So basically three years in a row now, his ERA has been between 340 and 355. So I think at this point we can safely pencil him in for a mid three ZRA, which is kind of high for where he's normally drafted. Plus, he's never had a 180 inning season. Uh, he's been very close both in 2021 and 2019, but hasn't quite gotten the workload that you expect for a pitcher drafted as high as he is. So I'm not going to draft him that high again. Uh, and maybe nobody else will either, but I have Lucas Giolito 12th for next year. So actually behind Sandy Alcantara, just ahead of Kevin Gossman. Yeah, I don't know that I would want Lucas Giolito as my SP1, but I guess if you double tap the position in like rounds three mm-hmm. and four, if you wind up with like Giolito, Charlie Morton as your one-two punch, it's, it's not it's not so bad, but... Yeah, I'm kind of looking at this now. I, I kind of don't know if I want Charlie Morton as low as 15th. I kind of want him more than Lucas Giolito. Hmm. I'm thinking I can move him ahead of Aaron Nola, Kevin Gosman, and Giolito oh, at 12th behind Sandy Alcantara. Aaron, that sound? Aaron Nola, we didn't even talk about him yet. Um, yeah. Going to be very interested to hear Nick Pollock's thoughts on him because um, I think he's going to be pretty polarizing. Uh, but yeah, I can yeah. see that. I, I can see getting Morton up there to you know like 12 or 13. I think that's fair. Yeah, we got a lot of pitchers to talk about. <laughs> There's <still. laughs> so many. Like Honestly, we could just do the next five podcasts on, on pitchers if we wanted to. One that we didn't talk about that I, I will be pretty excited to uh, to mention next podcast, Dylan Cease finished top 10 in both K-minus walk rate and swinging strike rate this season. He was sixth among qualified starting pitchers in swinging strike rate. Pretty, pretty excited about Dylan Cease, but I'm going to leave you with that. A nice little cliffhanger. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball. Today, we'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye.
wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.